Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have an entrepreneur that um, I think is really going to tell us quite a bit, you know, what he's up to and an incredible innovation, you know, that is happening also in, in, in India. So I think that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sanjay Sharma. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Alexandro. Thank you for having me on the show. Looking so, forward to speaking to you. So, Sanjay, so originally you were brought up in a small town, in a steel town. So how was this experience growing up for you? Oh, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, in the steel city of Bhilai, uh, where I was uh, brought up uh, and did my schooling, it was a small community, very cosmopolitan because it was all engineers from all across uh, India. And uh, as... Uh, Children as kids, uh, I remember that uh, we used to uh, be outdoors most of the time. Um, um, did a lot of uh, of uh, fun activity, lots to learn, and uh, I think that's also what gave me a lot of grounding into the real values uh, of life and um, and uh, value of hard work. And why is there so much engineering there? Uh, I think uh, you know that in India there is a a very large number of people who finally go go to engineering schools. It's an aspirational thing, I suppose. And uh, I think uh, being from the steel city itself uh, gave me some uh, look into, you know, what engineers do. And uh, that is uh, one of the reasons why I also went into an engineering school. I went to IIT Bombay and uh, did my engineering there. So uh, I think probably part of it is uh, the reason that uh, I came from a, a steel town. Very nice. Very nice. So was there anyone in your family that was into business or an entrepreneur or how did you, do you think that for you, it was more of a, you were kind of like born into it or born with it or, or something that developed later on? No, uh, in fact, my family, uh, for, for my family, I'm the first person who has delved into a business uh, or a startup. So uh, we are a family of uh, people who have worked as engineers or doctors in uh, in various uh, uh, various uh, organizations. So it's a I, I have in a way gone against that grain and uh, started something of my own. Got it, got it. So then, so then let's talk about what happened. So in your case, you were talking about that you went into engineering. 
So um, obviously you went to to study there to Bombay, uh, and then after this, what happened? Yeah, I think um, uh, after doing my engineering, uh, like uh, many of uh, the people who uh, come from from good engineering colleges, either you go uh, for further uh, studies overseas, or you uh, pick up a, a management management degree. And I decided to do the latter. So I went for my management uh, education uh, to IIM Bangalore. So I've been quite fortunate that I've uh, been to two of the best institutes in India, one for uh, engineering, the other for uh, management. And after that, I uh, came in and actually started working, um, which was what was expected by my family, that I took on a job, a good stable job with a large bank. HSBC was where I started my my working career. And... uh, uh, continued uh, in, in that uh, stream for almost 25 years. I did various stints in various banks, some of the large banks in India, uh, HDFC Bank, and so on. And obviously, one of the biggest, uh, I would say, milestones or breakthroughs in your career was when the opportunity of Tamwheel came knocking. So what happened there? Oh, yes. Uh, that's an interesting story. In, in fact, one of my ex-colleagues, uh, had uh, uh, made it uh, to a very senior uh, position in uh, a bank in UAE. And he said that he wanted uh, me to come and set up a housing finance company. And uh, I'm a risk taker, so I uh, thought about it and said, why not? And I went to uh, UAE, set up uh, uh, an office in uh, Dubai. And I was the first employee. And uh, we created a housing finance company called Tamwheel. Uh, which uh, started off in 2003-2004, I think. And uh, in seven years, it grew to become the largest housing finance company in the country. And the uh, uh, interesting thing is that we did uh, go for an IPO after that. And that IPO uh, was a billion dirham uh, share uh, share money that was uh, being uh, asked for. And it got oversubscribed some 200 times, so huge amounts of money, 200 billion dirhams uh, landed up into our accounts. And I remember that there was uh, so much excitement around that because uh, no one had uh, seen that sort of a number before. Uh, and uh, uh, those are uh, great uh, days uh, that gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, if you set up and solve a big problem, uh, then it can uh, translate into tremendous value. And obviously, this and this this led you to really be able to see like what the experience and the full cycle of a company looks like because it didn't take you long uh, after you left Tam Wheel to actually start your own thing. So tell us about this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Tam Wheel showed me the full cycle. How do you set up a business? How do you start from scratch? How do you build a team? How do you research into the product and so on? And I think that proved been very useful when I returned back to India. I came back in 2010 and looked around for opportunity to do something which could have a social impact. I'd done enough work on the commercial uh, banking side. Uh, and I wanted to do something which uh, would mean something to the, uh, to the uh, less privileged uh, world uh, in India. Um, and I came and... Uh, Finally, uh, uh, that's how the idea of iFinance, uh, which is the company that I founded, uh, came about. Uh, and the problem that we're solving is that there is a there is there are almost 67 million micro enterprise owners who belong to the unorganized sector in India. And these people, because they do not have formal documents that typically are needed by banks for lending, uh, these organizations do not get any formal finance from the organized uh, finance industry. 
67 million uh, enterprises is a very, very large number. And uh, uh, the, exp- uh, the estimate is that their unmet need is somewhere close to $2.4 trillion. So huge problem to solve. And uh, uh, the way we have solved it in iFinance is uh, primarily uh, by using a, a mix of uh, um, data tools, data science, uh, uh, machine learning models, and a lot of uh, customer insights that we get, uh, meeting customers, et cetera. And uh, how to build uh, that customer insight is is yet another story. So obviously uh, here you were really uh, putting in a, in a marriage uh, what is uh, the financial services space with the technology space, so everything coming into one. So tell us about the, the way that you actually make money. What does the business model look like? Sure. Uh, see, I think uh, the use of data science in this respect, uh, Alejandro, a lot of people think that uh, the data tools are best suited for people who already have good uh, financial uh, financial services and to make those services faster and better and less uh, with less hassle, and which is true. But uh, data science and uh, uh, new age tools can also be used to solve problems which earlier were considered to be unsolvable. And I think what we have done is precisely that. Uh, lending to this uh, this large uh, unorganized mass of uh, uh, micro-enterprise customers uh, was never possible unless you had good data tools to really uh, uh, look at how to underwrite them properly. And... Uh, what we have done is that we have uh, married technology to uh, the financial uh, financial uh, understanding of these customers. Uh, and to start with, the starting point is to understand your customer very well. And I think uh, many people have talked about it. I think it is often used as a cliche that you should understand, understand your customer. But that can be the difference between having a successful startup and not a successful startup. In our case, uh, I and the initial team of six people went to 350 micro-enterprise customers in five different uh, cities in India. And we met them face-to-face, had 45-minute face-to-face interview with each of them. So huge amount of work got done. Uh, We were almost three months on the road just to get to understand that what is the problem with the customer, what are his uh, challenges, how can we solve for it, and what will work and what will not work. And I think that uh, time invested, the first four months that we invested in understanding the market and the customer was, uh, I think, worth its weight in gold. It has uh, kept us uh, on the right track, uh, made sure that we don't make uh, mistakes. And uh, then once you have that base, then you can use technology to really solve the problem and get to an efficient uh, uh, model. Yeah, because the, the problem that I see all the time that entrepreneurs make is that they are building based on assumptions rather than based on data. So they just go at it with something that they think is going to be nice. Uh, they just put a bunch of resources and money into engineering it. And then when they go to market, they realize that they got it wrong uh, and that there's crickets. So I think that what you're pointing to is really being able to get as much data points as possible from your customer so that you're really driving every decision from what the market is asking you. Is that right? Certainly. Absolutely right. Got it. And obviously, in your case, also the, the data uh, and the use of the data was a, was a big one. So, so tell us about this. Sure. Uh, 
you know, when we uh, got started, uh, we started picking up data and uh, uh, we built our initial models, uh, which were which was based on uh, clusters. So we said that uh, businesses, a person who's making shoes, is uh, very similar to someone else who's also making shoes. And if you understand the dynamics of that business and see some markers in this business, for example, how many shoes are made per, per employee or what is the total sales per employee in a shoe uh, manufacturing, we will start seeing patterns which will help us uh, write uh, data science uh, models which could look at the industry type or the cluster and use some of the observed data points to underwrite. And that was the starting hypothesis on which we uh, base our initial models uh, and started picking up a lot of data, a lot of information on customers. Because uh, see, the difference is that uh, unlike uh, uh, many developed markets where data is available through the credit bureau, etc., these are customers who have never had credit at all. So these are new to credit customers. So there's no absolutely no data available on them. And you've got to create those uh, data points or touch points yourself. So... I think the initial part of our uh, journey was uh, making sure that we created data and we consumed data as we went along. Uh, and uh, the models evolved. Models have become better and better. Now uh, we have close to 300,000 customers uh, and plus uh, and growing. So we are now large enough to actually start use, uh, use uh, of data for uh, machine learning models that can uh, mean something or uh, are uh, fairly efficient. So I think the journey has been that uh, you can always start in an industry and pick up uh, small uh, um, volumes of data and gradually grow it. And today, after six years, uh, many of the competitors in this market uh, really envy us for the amount of data that we have and the learning machine learning models that we use uh, to the extent that uh, when uh, Capital G wanted to invest, um, uh, they uh, chose us and uh, we are the only finance company in India where uh, Capital G has invested. And I once asked the the, invest, uh, the investment uh, director that what, what is it that you saw in a company which uh, is addressing a problem which uh, is not one of those uh, um, fancy high-tech sort of uh, customers. These are low-tech customers who are being uh, addressed and uh, through, a, through a method that is partly uh, field-driven, partly data-driven. And uh, interestingly, they told me that uh, the use of data that we see uh, in, in your organization is uh, a phenomenal. I think your use of data is very good. The use of uh, tools around data, that, that is uh, very interesting. And uh, they also mentioned that uh, we are one of the organizations where uh, we have uh, had profitable uh, business model. So we started making our profits in the third year itself. And uh, we've been making profits ever since. So it's important that you grow rapidly. We have grown at a pace where uh, I think last five years, we must have uh, grown at a compounded growth of almost 100%, uh, 125% per annum. So you can grow, but you can also keep yourself profitable. And I think these are two things uh, that I would mention that use data, Create data data assets and consume data assets, and also keep an eye on uh, staying profitable. Very nice. So obviously, uh, you were alluding to it with Capital G. I mean, to to create a business like this, um, it it definitely is capital intensive. So, how much capital have you have you guys raised to date? Uh, see, we uh, have we, uh, have used a lot of uh, debt also. So, unlike many startups which only use equity. We have used a mix of equity and a 
fair uh, amount of debt. And being from, in a finance industry, it's easy for us to raise debt than many of uh, the other industries. Uh, we have overall raised about uh, uh, close to about $80 million only. So it's not a very large raise. But from the debt side, we have almost raised another $200 million. So I think uh, that is uh, roughly what uh, we have raised in funds, roughly around $300 million. And uh, we have a book also, which is uh, close to that uh, number. So almost $300 million uh, book is what we run. So it's interesting, obviously, that um, that combination and that balance of, of debt and equity. I'm wondering, you know, like there's, there's many people that probably are listening now uh, and, and they're always used to the equity raises or the, maybe like the ones that are at an earlier stage, the convertible note uh, raises. But I guess when, when, when we're talking about like going a little bit uh, farther in that, in that growth journey and balancing that equity with debt, like let's say like what you were alluding to, it, can, you, can you walk us uh, through that, um, uh, uh, that thinking or why? You know, it makes sense on a business like yours to have that split between equity and debt? Sure. Um, I think the simple reason is that uh, in a lending business, the raw material is essentially money. You know, because uh, while uh, you can think of uh, funds as equity and debt, but ultimately the raw material that that we use or the product that we sell is, is, um, is money in the end. So you need to raise large pools of money. And if you only go with equity, you will end up obviously uh, uh, diluting yourself uh, many, many times. Um, That's one. Second is that by using a leverage of debt, you increase the return on on equity for your investors. So one side is the profitability side that you want to give more returns to your uh, investors and therefore you want to take debt at a lower uh, cost and generate profits on that. And the second is that uh, I think you don't want to take so much equity and dilute yourself repeatedly. So it works on um, on both the counts. Um, and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, um, often uh, startups or uh, new organization, even in the finance world, uh, do not think that uh, they would uh, find debt easily because, uh, you know, they don't have the track record. There's so many covenants to uh, look at. Um, I can tell you that when we started and we went to companies, the first thing that uh, that uh, banks uh, want is they want uh, the founder to give a personal guarantee. Um, and that seems to be the Indian uh, context. And we were very clear that uh, the founders will not give a personal guarantee because uh, uh, it's a professional organization. And, uh, you know, uh, how can uh, one person... Uh, uh, take the take the full load of a large debt, and uh, we stuck to that. And we said we will not give personal guarantee, but we are willing to give you collateral. We are willing to give you uh, the security. We are willing to uh, abide by other covenants. And ultimately, we did get uh, debt because uh, they did they realized that it's a professional organization doing well. And I think uh, once you have uh, made the first debt like that, then no one else uh, asks you for. Uh, personal guarantee. So today, uh, uh, we started uh, the organization, taken a lot of debt. We've taken debt from almost 10 to 15 different uh, debt providing uh, banks and uh, finance companies. Not once have we given a personal guarantee. So I just want to use that as an example that uh, if you uh, feel uncomfortable with something and you stick to your ground, uh, you will find solutions which work for uh, both the sides. 
Absolutely. And while we're talking about money uh, and then also the lending side, which is obviously the business here at stake, uh, how would you say that COVID has perhaps say, changed the landscape for you guys? Uh, that's an excellent question uh, about uh, how the businesses are uh, behaving. Um, see, the difference is that while every uh, credit uh, rating agency or the financial gurus, and you have huge number of uh, views coming out in the market, everyone seems to think that the small and micro enterprises are going to be hit the hardest, and there's going to be a huge amount of default in this uh, industry. Uh, there's no denying that the micro and small enterprises have been hit quite hard. But the difference is that the way you have underwritten a customer is going to be important in this scenario. And uh, we're finding that uh, while the expectation is that uh, almost uh, as, as far as some of the, uh, um, the consulting uh, uh, journals that I read, they indicate that there could be 25 to 30% default in the micro and small enterprises. We are finding that uh, we have still been able to manage to keep the uh, total number of uh, delays or delinquencies within 10%. And in this scenario, it is extremely good because our normal scenario used to be 2%. And we believe that uh, when COVID is over, we will not see our delinquency go to more than uh, double that number, which is about 4%. So you can always manage your customers. The averages don't count. You can say that average is going to be 20% delinquency, but if your customer is a customer who is going to pay and you have done your work well, then you may be at 2% or 4% when the industry average is 10 or 12, 12%. So we have always said that we don't worry about the averages. Let people predict doom and gloom. But if we know our customers and we treat our customers well and we are diligent in how to collect, we will see uh, a good business. So we believe that, you know, we will uh, we will ride this COVID storm uh, and we'll come out uh, of this storm uh, wiser and definitely stronger. And uh, I think post-COVID, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us again. And uh, I think uh, we hope that we'll be one of the companies that uh, uh, is there to make the most of uh, that opportunity. And obviously, I'm sure that culture the culture of your business, it's, it's going to be a big driver of that. So how, how many employees do you have now? Um, again, culture, I think, is extremely important and something that we pay a lot of attention to. We have a team of 3,200 employees across uh, the entire country, and we have 173 branches across India. Uh, I think we place a lot of focus on building a good, solid culture. And uh, we've been uh, certified as a great place to work by the Great Place to Work Institute, uh, ranked 14th uh, in India, which is quite an achievement for a small organization, uh, which is just about six years old. But uh, I think it's because we have created a strong team uh, across uh, uh, across uh, our business, uh, a team that believes that uh, we are capable of uh, the best of achievements and a team that uh, wants to uh, create a business that is admired by all the stakeholders. And are there any any particular, maybe like principles or 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 things that that you enroll people uh, when it comes to culture? Like, what 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 would you say are perhaps the key pillars, you know, behind that solid structure around culture that you guys have created? Yeah. Uh, see, I think we have, uh, like many organizations, we have our values that have been written, etc. But 
um, I think we place a lot of focus on the vision statement that we have. And our vision is to be an admired uh, leader in our um, market segment. And we focus on the fact that we just don't want to be a leader. We want to be an admired organization. And uh, there are metrics for uh, saying that we'll be admired when our investors feel that, uh, you know, this is one of the best companies to invest in. When our employees feel that this is the sort of organization that I really want to work in. And uh, when uh, customers uh, give us uh, a thumbs up, uh, uh, to give you a marker, I think I already mentioned about the fact that we are seen as a great place to work. Uh, on the investors, uh, we have seen uh, uh, five rounds of investments and the first investor who came in uh, is, is still investing into the company because they believe that uh, we are delivering uh, good value and we'll continue to deliver good value. Um, now, let me talk of the customer. The customer ratings, uh, let me tell you that our net promoter scores when we speak to customers uh, is in the 70%, which I think is uh, substantially a, a high number uh, when I compare to many other companies in India. And that's because we have uh, solved a big problem for our customer. We've treated our customer well, and uh, we have kept uh, in contact with the customer and helped uh, help them along. So on that front also, we have uh, focused a lot and uh, seen good results. So talking about the uh, customer, talking about the investors, employees, so obviously there is, um, as you were saying, the, the vision and, and where things are heading. So I guess uh, if I was to ask you, Sanjay, you know, imagine you go to, to sleep tonight, and you wake up in a world five years later, incredible snooze, imagine. No? And you wake up in a world where the vision is fully realized for the business. What, what does that world look like? I think the, um, the vision obviously is that uh, we should be uh, five years down the line, as you said, uh, we should be an organization which should have a probably a million customers uh, with a book that uh, would be uh, counted as uh, among the top uh, five uh, finance companies in India. So I'm not counting bank, but uh, there's a very large number of NBFC. There are close to 30,000 NBFCs in India. And uh, we want to be among the top five and with extremely good uh, profit numbers, etc. So those are uh, the business uh, uh, markers. But more important is that we should be seen in this industry as thought leaders when it comes to microenterprises. Uh, if someone said that, you know, that where would you find the best knowledge or best uh, expertise on microenterprise lending, uh, it should be uh, uh, it should be iFinance. Similarly, if we speak to employees who have worked in iFinance, I want them to say that you know that uh, they've had a wonderful time. And they've never worked in an organization which is as caring and uh, teaches them so much. Um, so I think uh, those are the sort of markers that one would like to see. I'm sure that uh, it will also be good to see our customers progress. So it'll be good to see many of our uh, customers uh, beginning to become active parts of the, uh, the financial uh, economy and the e-commerce space. So I think uh, that would be a, a wonderful thing to have. And, and I guess, uh, you know, we, we've talked about culture. We've talked about employees, too. I mean, over 3,000 employees, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, one question that definitely comes to mind here is, uh, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are, that are listening, like wondering, I mean, after having onboarding so many employees, you, you've 
definitely learned a lot around recruiting and, and really getting the right people for the right reasons that are aligned with, with what you guys are building. So, so I guess what, what, what do you really look in people when you're looking to recruit and to onboard talent? Sure. Uh, see, you, um, you hire for attitude, and uh, that's, uh, without any doubts, uh, very important. Um, and I think uh, if the attitude is right, and uh, even if there is a gap in the knowledge or uh, experience in that area, you can always build on that. Um, and we have a very strong uh, training uh, faculty. We do a lot of training for our uh, employees. Many of them come straight from uh, 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 graduate school. And they have to be trained uh, into how to use the systems, how to use the processes. So training is definitely one piece. But when you're looking at, uh, at hiring, what we do uh, is that we have used multiple uh, sources of uh, assessing uh, a new hire. We have tried uh, using uh, psychometric tools. We have tried using uh, data science tools. We have also spoken to our field uh, branch managers to see how, how do they rate people. And one thing that I can tell you is that uh, you learn something from everyone. So if you just thought that, uh, you know, there's no point in speaking to the field people, you realize that field people will give you a very good insight into many of the new hires and whom to look for, what are the pitfalls to avoid. Uh, data science tools can help you sift through very large number of uh, resumes, etc. So you have to use multiple uh, ways, or you can say that multiple listening posts. The listening posts can be the field uh, branch manager in the particular town. It could be a training resource who's uh, in the same uh, same city. It could be data uh, tools that uh, have been designed. And finally, the interviews that uh, we conduct. So it's important to use multiple sources. Obviously, look for a good attitude, and uh, the, tra uh, the training uh, can follow. Got it. Very cool. And one, one question that I always ask the guests that come on the show is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, Sanjay, I mean, obviously, for you, the entrepreneurial journey has been remarkable, you know, obviously, full of ups, full of downs, because there's not such thing as a straight line, but, but obviously full of lessons too, no? And, um, and basically, if you had that opportunity to go back in time and have a chat to speak with your younger self, with that younger Sanjay, and you were able to give that younger Sanjay one piece of advice before launching a business. What would be and why, given what you know now? Sure. See, um, I come from a family of uh, professionals who have never been in business. So I'm the first one who has set up a business and run a business of my own. And one thing I realized uh, is that I wish I had started this earlier. You know, so often we believe that, uh, oh, we, maybe we are not uh, sure we'll do well or not. But many of us who do so well in service or in, uh, in a job uh, can easily do that for ourselves. And if I was to give advice uh, to my younger self, I would have said that start getting into a business 10 years earlier rather than later. Uh, you can always learn as you go along. So there's no... I don't see a, a tremendous merit in saying that, oh, let me first gain experience and, uh, you know, till I am 30 or 40 years old, and then I will be ready for business. Um, there are lots of young people who uh, do very good, uh, have, have set up very good businesses. So I think start early. And uh, once you have the confidence that you can execute well, uh, believe in yourself. 
and back yourself because uh, you can always find solutions to many problems uh, by using a good consistent method and problems will be there and as uh, people who are uh, employed in jobs we solve problems uh, all the time uh, so why worry about the fact that you know you'll be on your own and therefore you'll have to solve your own problems uh, things fall into place uh, you have to take uh, those chances and yes there could be failures but uh, if you have confidence in yourself uh, pick yourself up and start something uh, something afresh uh, and you got to be patient you got to be consistent you can't let go uh, early you got to have uh, a belief in yourself and stand by in our case uh, you know we have stood by when we started everyone in the finance industry said that you are going to lose a lot of money if you look at unorganized sector for lending and people said that people will take money from you they will run away you will not be able to trace them because uh, in india you don't have the social security number etc and uh, we we had believed that uh, we would do fine so uh, the founding team uh, set about setting up the processes to take away those risks and uh, i think in 6 years time uh, um, i think we have had a wonderful experience uh, we've done well and uh, we created a good business very powerful sanjay so for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi pardon for the people that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi i mean is there what is is there a good way to get a hold of you maybe linkedin or twitter uh, or what would you suggest yeah see um, i think uh, i uh, i'm not very active uh, on uh, most of the social media because there's so much to be done uh, in the company but my email uh, can be a good way of uh, reaching me because i i do respond to every email that comes in uh, and uh, I think uh, my email is sanjay.sharma at ifin.com, A-Y-E-F-I-N.com. That is the best way to catch me. Uh, you can write to me on LinkedIn, but uh, I normally would respond after four or five days. So you'll have to wait, wait, uh, wait that time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you. It was great uh, speaking to you, Alexandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.